Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, May the 10th, 2023. We've done many shows over the years on nationalism and the nation state, and given the perhaps leftward tilt of the show and our guest, it's not surprising that nations and nation states haven't come out well. Uh, we did a show a couple of years ago with Elif Shafak, the uh, very popular, prolific Turkish uh, novelist and a polemicist on why nationalism is not a force for a good. Uh, Elif Shafak is not a great fan, I think it would be fair to say, of the Turkish nation state, particularly articulated by Erdogan. I'm going there next week. There's an election, should be interesting. I uh, did one with the, uh, the writer John Freeman a couple of years ago, as well as the implications of nationalism and the nation state on the environment. Not good again. Uh, Catherine Stewart, an old friend of the show, has continually been wa warning us about the dangerous rise of religious nationalism on the right, particularly in the United States. Even for the center-left, nationalism is not considered um, something that we should celebrate. John Judas was on the show a couple of years ago talking about its implications on center-leftists like Pete Buttigieg. Um, it, of course, often, all too often, we go back in history, back to the long winter of 1933, when we have warnings of nationalism and nation-state. We did a show with Paul uh, Jankowski, of course, about that period, Hitler, the rise of Mussolini as well. Done shows with Anne Applebaum and Michael Ignatiev, two of the most, I think, articulate critics of today's rise of authoritarianism, neither of which great fans of nationalism, particularly Ignatiev, uh, given his experience in Hungary. He's an old friend of the show, too. If there's anyone on the left who has been a little bit more sympathetic to the idea of the nation and the nation, uh, nationalism and the nation states, my old friend Yasha Munk, um, he's ambivalent, and his new book, uh, The Great Experiment, Why Diverse Democracies Fall Apart and How They Can Endure, suggests to progressives that they might take another look at nationalism and the nation state. And my guest today, I think, is doing the same thing. He's a particularly distinguished American political philosopher, one of the great figures and writers and thinkers of his generation. He has a new essay out in uh, Liberty's Quarterly, Michael Walzer, The Left and the Nation State. And I'm thrilled and honored that Michael is joining us from New York City, where he has moved from Princeton. Michael, welcome, and congratulations uh, on this new piece, The Left and the Nation State. Uh, you joked with me earlier that um, one of the reasons why you've had such a long and happy life, you've drunk a lot of coffee, uh, you've drunk a lot of bourbon, and uh, you've eaten a lot of dark chocolate. I'm also guessing perhaps that you've stayed clear of the nationalism in the nation state. Is that one reason for your successful life? I've been quite involved in uh, arguing about nationalism and the nation state. Um, but I am a defender of um, a qualified version of, of nationalism. I, I have a new book out on the adjective liberal when, in which I have a chapter on liberal nationalism. Um, 
And the book is called <laughs> The Struggle for a Decent Politics on Liberal as an Adjective. It just got a good review in the New York Times from James Traub. You are very up to date. Um, I, I, I was a little uneasy. James Traub made, made me look too moderate, I thought. I don't believe that um, a liberal nationalist is necessarily a moderate nationalist, but he, it is a nationalist who recognizes the legitimacy of other nations. Yeah, and James Traub, of course, himself, I actually uh, had a meeting with him in New York City last month. He wrote a very good history of liberalism. So, so Michael, let's start from first principles. You're a man very good at that sort of thing. What is it about the left that has made them historically so suspicious of the nation state? Well, the, um, the, the left has lived from, from its Marxist beginnings with the idea of class. Uh, class is the alternative identity to, um, to the nation. <clears throat> and the, the, the great hope of the 19th century left was that <clears throat> workers from every country, from every nation, would feel more connected to other workers in other nations than they would feel to their fellow citizens um, at, at, at home, to their bourgeois fellow citizens, say. They would feel closer to workers abroad. Um, and that was a, a, an internationalist dream. It's not, it's not the only version of internationalism, but it was one version. Um, the workers would, would reject their own country for the, the international class of, of workers. And there was, of course, a generation of, of these leftists, uh, perhaps best captured by the great... Polish, German, she wasn't really of any nationality, uh, uh, Marxist, or I don't know whether we want to call her a Marxist, certainly a socialist revolutionary, Rosa Luxemburg. Is she perhaps, with Trotsky, the figure who most captures the hostility of the, the old left, the radical revolutionary left to the idea of nationalism, Michael? She, she, she does that very, very well in her rejection of... Um, of, of every connection that she had except the class uh, connection. She rejected her Jewishness. She rejected her Polishness. She rejected her Russianness. Yes. What uh, was left, Michael? If you take away Rosa's Jewishness, her Russianness, her Germanness, what was left? Her woman? She would have womanliness? Well, I don't know where she stood on feminist issues at that time. She would have said she was a, an international socialist. And, um, and that is a, 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 an identity with which I have a, a, a lot of sympathy. Um, but I, I interpret internationalism to mean connections across nations. Internationalism implies, for me, the existence of nations, which are then to relate to one another um, 
in what we hope will be harmonious ways. Um, I, I, I think that World War I was the, uh, the practical death of socialist internationalism because workers across Europe chose their, their national identities over, over their class identities. And indeed, that made the war awful. I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't doubt that nationalism can have terrible consequences when it isn't qualified by an adjective like, like liberal. You, you begin the book by suggesting, and, and, and you point to the irony, the paradox here, is the left has always been suspicious of nationalism. And yet today, as there's one kind of national war, or one war of one nation, Russia against another, Ukraine, you suggest that there is a paradox, perhaps even a contradiction, maybe even a little bit of a hypocrisy on the left when it comes to being sympathetic to Ukrainian nationalism and the Ukrainian nation state for progressives and deeply hostile to Putin and the Russian nationalism and Russian nation st statehood on the other hand. Is that fair? Is that what you're suggesting in the piece? Well, a substantial part of the left, not all of it, has rallied in support of the Ukrainians, um, in support of a nation which in many ways has in the past exemplified all of the sins of, of, of nationalism. And I think most, most leftists believe, even if it contradicts their official um, ideology, most leftists believe that um, a people like the Ukrainians have a right to self-determination they have a right to live um, in peace in a country that they call their own, um, and they have a right. Um, some of them, some Ukrainians, would say an obligation to defend that country if if it is attacked by um, with, without cause by a, an imperial uh, power, as Russia now is. Um, not all of the left. There are parts of the left that have supported the Russian, the, the Russian invasion or apologized for it. Is there but anyone consistent, Michael, on this, uh, maybe apart from you? Are there people who recognize the hypocrisy and recognize that if you write off Russian nationalism, you've also got to write off Ukrainian nationalism? Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't seen people saying that in, in print. I suspect... People are saying that maybe to each well, other. Well, I'm sure that Leon, uh, in his uh, Liberties thing, uh, he, he always likes to uh, upset everyone, both on the left and the right. I think that's one of the reasons why he found you. I wonder whether um, Zelensky, the highly charismatic, very unusual president of, uh, of, of uh, Ukraine, who seems to represent a new a new way of thinking about nationalism and, and the nation state. Is there something new about him or does he really, for you as a historian of ideas, uh, probably rarely surprised by anything, is he really just a return to the romantic nationalism of the, of the mid 19th century, particularly associated perhaps with the revolutions of 1848? Yes, he is. He is um, a figure from that time uh, um, of that sort, but, what is most remarkable about him 
is that he comes to his Ukrainian, his commitment to the Ukrainian nation, he comes as a member of the two most important minorities in the nation state of Ukraine. He, is, he comes from the, the Russian-speaking um, eastern part of Ukraine, and he is Jewish. Um, and you forgot the third bit of minority. Uh, he's also a comedian. He's a funny man. Yes, yes. Which so, is probably the most important quality, I'm guessing, certainly to be a liberal nationalist, isn't it? Not taking yourself or your people too seriously. Yes, although at this moment, I think he is driven to high seriousness. Um, but yes. You brought up the, uh, the J word, uh, uh, Michael, the Jewish. Um, of course, many of the great critics, Rosa Luxemburg in particular, of late 19th, early 20th century nationalism and the First World War were Jews who straddled borders, who escaped national categories. Is there something new about Zelensky's Jewishness, shall we say? You know, many hosta, many people, fascist people on the right, have associated Jews with cosmopolitanism and hostility to the nation state. Yes. Um, in, in, as a minority in uh, a whole series of illiberal countries, um, Jews were often driven to an anti-national, um, to a belief that cosmopolitanism would be the, 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 the rescuing ideology, the encompassing ideology that would at last bring them, bring us uh, into um, a, a, a world without uh, hostility and persecution. Um, I think that was a... Uh, um, an understandable dream. And I do, th I think cosmopolitanism is the genuine alternative to nationalism because internationalism implies, as I said, the, the existence of nations. Cosmopolitanism implies the abolition of nations, of boundaries entirely. Mm. Michael, when a distinguished political philosopher like you uses the word dream, you're a polite man, you, you're suggesting it's wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, dreams are not necessarily wrong. In the They're not very healthy, though, are they? I mean, even in a... I mean, well, obviously, there was a tradition of making sense of dreams, which is another subject, another book, another show, but... Right, right. I was, are you suggesting that they're delusion, deluding themselves a little bit about the reality of the world? They're utopian, they're dreamlike, they're otherworldly? The Jewish aspiration to... Uh, that. To uh, for a cosmopolitan rescue, yes, that was uh, an illusion. But I was using dream more as aspiration, um, and it is important that we have uh, aspirations. I I I dream of um, a world of of cooperating nations. In fact, um, I, it's it's more than a dream. Right now, it is an urgent requirement that the climate crisis be addressed. Yeah, but is that done with nations? Uh, Michael, it's no secret that you're Jewish. Um, are you a nationalist? Where do you stand on, again, these age-old discussions amongst intellectual Jews on the left on Zionism and socialism and, and nation-state? And where do you stand on America? Do you think of yourself as... Um, a, uh, a supporter of the idea of the American nation state, whatever that means? 
I, uh, I, I think um, I am an American patriot. I don't think there is yet an American nation state. There is uh, America is a is a uh, multinational, multi-religious, multi-racial uh, country, a remarkable country. Um, and the the appropriate allegiance is 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 one of patriotism, not of not of not of nationalism. Um, as a Jew, I'm also a Zionist. I believe that there should be a Jewish nation state in the world in the same way that there is a Norwegian nation state or a, or you know, a Han Chinese nation state or a Vietnamese nation state. I, I believe in this, there should be a, a right of self-determination for all peoples, including the Jewish people. But um, I am also a, an, a, an opponent of um, Jewish ultra-nationalism as represented by the current government. My, my heart is with well, all my friends in Israel or in the street, in the streets. Protesting. Michael, there, there is a tradition on the left um, of non-conformist, shall we say, being much more sympathetic to populism um, and the idea of a, a, a nation state or nationalism. Michael Lind is one example. Thomas Frank, they were both on the show recently. Do we need to reinvestigate that tradition, that Lindian, Frankian position that populism isn't such a bad thing? It's not a dirty word. Well, populism like um, nationalism uh, is, is many things, and populism in its in the form it has been taking in the world today, in 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 the Republican Party here in uh, Poland, in Hungary, in in Israel, with its new government, that is a version of populism that I think is is actually hostile to democracy because it has this idea of the people with a capital P um, who are somehow represented by the one election that they win and must never lose an election again because they are the people. Um, I, I think uh, I, I, populism in 19th century America was uh, a, a left creed Populism in America today is a far-right creed. But it's still the same thing. Um, it's interesting in your book, uh, sorry, in, in your article for Liberties, you go back before the middle of the 19th century, before 1848, back to France in 1789, and you say that the left began as an idea, as a phenomenon in, in, in the France of the revolutionary late 19th, uh, 18th century, wearing, to borrow some language, I guess, from Marx, uh, nationalist garb. I think it's a very important point you make, Michael, that isn't often made. Remind us of, of the association between the left and revolution and nationalism in the French Revolution and, and what we can learn from that as we struggle to incorporate the idea of nationalism and the left and progressivism in early 21st century America. Yes, but you might begin with Mazzini, not before the French 
before the French Revolution, or just after the French Revolution, Mazzini is the is the prototypical liberal nationalist who wanted self determination for the Italians, but also for the Germans and the Poles and the Swiss. He founded Young Italy, and then he went and helped to found Young Germany, Young Poland, Young Switzerland, all in the interests of the self-determination of, of peoples. And of course, the model was the French Revolution, which was um, interpreted as an uprising of ordinary people against an internationalist aristocracy, a cosmopolitan aristocracy. Um, it's the nationalism represented by the Marseillaise, uh, represented by the, um, the universal uh, conscription, the, the um, levy en masse, calling on all citizens to, um, to rally to the cause of, uh, of, of the nation. And all of the, 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 the revolutionary oaths the oaths of, of, of allegiance, all that was the beginning of, um, of the nation state. It's Michael, is Zelensky himself, in a way, uh, an ancestor of Mazzini and, of course, their hostility to the empires? A lot of historians have reminded us that Putin's Russia, in many ways, is probably not that different from the 19th century Tsarist Russian Empire or the Habsburg Empire. Are we... Is history returning? Are we repeating ourselves here in this clash between liberal nationalists like Zelensky and imperial imperialists like Putin, the new Tsar? It, it, it could be described as a, um, a 19th century phenomenon. Um, and Zelensky certainly believes not only in the self-determination of the Ukrainians, but of the Poles and the and the Moldovians and um, and and the Germans and the Hungarians, etc. He is a he is a universalist nationalist. That is to say, he's a nationalist who believes in the legitimacy of all the other the other nations. Michael, he calls himself a universalist nationalist. Of course, whenever anyone calls themselves a universalist, they're usually the reverse. Uh, you know that better than I do. Theorists of nationalism, particularly mid-19th century nationalism, which, of course, came out of the engine room of Central Europe, in particular, uh, Gellner, his great book, Nations and Nationalism, see the emergence of nationalism. Uh, I think his theory of nationalism is extremely powerful, as an epiphenomenon of socioeconomic development, almost accidental. People take nations as if they're eternal, as if they're universalist, but they're anything but that. What's your theory of nationalism? Do you agree with Gellner that it's specifically and unambiguously and unavoidably a consequence of modernity and that it didn't really exist before the French Revolution, certainly before the Industrial Revolution? I, th I think that um, versions of peoplehood have existed um, over a very, very long period of, of time. Um, the resistance to Rome by uh, the Jews of Judea, by, um, by the, the, the various European tribes, 
of the resistance to Roman domination was not nationalism in anything like the modern sense, but it was an expression of local and particularist loyalties to groups of people who wanted to, to, to shape their own lives, who wanted to sustain their own cultures. I think that is a, um, a trans uh, historical phenomenon. Um, but modern, but the modern nation state is indeed, it's born in the, in the late 18th century. And um, it is a, it is a peculiar, a, a, a singular. Yeah, as Gellner reminds us, what was peculiar about it is suddenly the powerful and the powerless shared a culture, which was unique in world history. And now perhaps something's changed. One of the striking things about America is its fragmentation between the coastal elites who see themselves in internationalist terms, beyond nationalism and the people in the heartland, is that they're living in such profoundly different worlds that their ontologies, their understanding of politics and themselves and communities, they're simply foreign to one another. Is it possible that the 18th and the 19th centuries are coexisting in the America of the 21st century? I, I think we, have, we are dealing with a, a, a very specific phenomenon of, of um, globalization and of um, ne neoliberal economics. I, I, um, I have what perhaps is an old left explanation for uh, what's going on in the United States today. I think the, uh, the, the, the American left, which was never very left, the New Deal liberals, the, uh, our version of social democracy, um, adopted neoliberal economic theories and just walked away from the American working class. And we are now living with the consequences of that. Uh, it's not the only thing that has happened in America, but the feeling of many, many uh, white working workers that they were simply left behind by, um, by a Democratic Party whose leaders, like Bill Clinton, decided that they could win elections with the, the professional, educated middle class and the minorities. And that's all they needed. And it worked once or twice, and then it didn't work. Um, but I think a lot of the American story is simply a story of being people, of people who feel left behind because they were literally abandoned by their political representatives, by the political leaders who had once in say in the 1930s and again maybe in the 1960s who had been committed to them and who had worked on their behalf um walked away walked away watched yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the interesting thing is are they walking away michael from Liberalism or from something else? We've got the, uh, Mark Leeler on the show, another contributor to Liberties next week. Uh, got, of course, a great historian of liberalism. Um, we've had Michael Sandel on the show, one of your students, a strong communitarian, a critic of 
I guess, neoliberalism or meritocracy in America. And then last week, we had Daniel Chandler on the show. He has a very interesting new book out, Free and Equal, What Would a Fair Society Look Like? It's a kind of reinvestigation of your old friend, John Rawls, suggesting that that Rawlsian arrangement is as relevant today in 2020s as it was when Rawls wrote his book. Do we need a new kind of Rawlsian foundation to build a sense of community, uh, Michael? Is that how we might rethink all these different problems? We need a new egalitarianism, and it could be founded on Rawls's dif- difference principle. Um, it could be it could it could be founded on um, any number of, of other ideas. Be from your, some of your work, from your great book, Just and Unjust Wars and Spheres of Justice, A Defense of Pluralism and Equality. So do we need to go back to the classics, back to Michael Walzer, back to, uh, back to uh, John Rawls? Is that or, where we need to go? Or back, despite everything about else about him, back to Thomas Jefferson. Um, we do. We we need- now you're sounding like a na- an American nationalist, Michael. Back to Jefferson. But he said it. He said what was most crucial, even though he didn't live by what he said. Um, so yes, we need it. What we- did he say? Uh, repeat it, because not everyone will know. He said that that that, that we are all created equal. Um, he he didn't specifically invoke the biblical doctrine of created in the image of God. Um, I think that's, uh, the, 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 even though I don't believe in God, I think that is a great egalitarian. <laughs> so you don't believe in God, but you still believe that it... <laughs> I still believe in creation in the image, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's end with what is the left to do? Is certainly not the first or the last time we've asked that question. We talked about Rosa Luxemburg, a brilliant woman, but also quite frustrating. One thing she was very, very good at, Luxemburg, was organizing. She ended her life on the streets. I think it was at Munich or Berlin after the First World War. But she was a remarkable organizer. And what you suggest in the book, uh, in, in, in the piece in Liberties, Michael, I thought was very intriguing. You say, and I'm quoting you here, men and women on the left know how to organize political parties, labor unions, and social movements in the places where they currently live. Um, Are you suggesting that people of the left should organize their own organizations around what they think the nation state is on those egalitarian Jeffersonian principles? Is that a way to get back to basics for, for the left? We have to appeal to our fellow citizens. That's where we begin. Um, after that, though, we have to, we have to look for solidarities across across borders, especially now in the time of, of climate change. We 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 need to build a left politics domestically, and then we have to reach out to other publics, which hope are doing the same thing in their own countries. And we have to create a, a, a global politics uh, that, that confronts environmental change, that confronts global inequalities. Yeah, but we start at home because that's what, that's what we know and that's where we have... Fellow- Is there an American version of Mazzini? <laughs> 
I am. Um, I, I do believe in um, the 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 self determination of different nations. In that sense, I am a Mazzinian. Yes. And how? And um, finally, Michael, how are we to ensure that Mazzini doesn't metastasize into Mussolini? Because it's, it's all that politics is an endless argument and an endless struggle and there are no guarantees there are no guarantees we have to see what what is right we have to do what is right um and we don't there, we, we will never win a, a definitive victory there is no end to political struggle <laughs>